I hold in my hand a Bible. You can hold a Bible in your hand too. There were days in the in pat in the past when holding a Bible was outlawed. Will we see those days again? Time will tell. And we discuss that and more this week on the deep end. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Wednesday. It is noon. It is the deep end. I am your host, Tim Hatch, pastor of Waters Church in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And joining me in the studio back again for the second straight week is Chris McEwen and Josh Vining, my Guatemalan brothers. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you for having us. Are you shocked to be asked back? I am, yeah. No. I'm very shocked. I'm shocked yes. that you asked Josh back. <laughs> yes, I am, I am too. Yes. I am shocked too. It was right. a, I don't know. A, a we came over you. Something we... in the water here or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, it was all that Guatemalan love. I don't, yeah. you know, speaking of wa- water, we have in our uh, little handy Deep End mugs. You can get this Deep End at deepend.tv. Mm. Yeah. $10. Like I, deep oh. End swag. Deep End. And, and we have them at Info Central on the weekend, so if you purchase it, you can pick it yeah. up here. It makes all your water holy, right here. All your water becomes instantly holy <laughs> in the deep end tumbler. Well, it is episode 17. We are in the book of Revelation, and I hope that you are ready for the book of Revelation. But before we get to that, we want to talk about some news that is happening. And I have um, a couple of news items to report uh, in the deep end podcast today. And then, Chris, you have one, too. I don't know if you're aware of this, American Christian, but the church globally is being persecuted at unprecedented levels. Now, this doesn't happen in America, and like we talked about last week with America being so comfortable in so many ways, creature uh, comforts-wise, the other thing that we take for granted, I think, as Christians in America, is our religious freedom. Religious freedom is a huge blessing, and I am absolutely in favor of religious freedom for Muslims and Jews and Hindus and atheists and agnostics and Christians, not just Christian religious freedom. Right. But we might lose that one day in this country. And if you look at the way that the world is moving and the way the country is moving, it seems like it might end up coming home to our shores where religious freedom might be impeded. I heard about a nine-year-old student in a Utah elementary school who was asked, asked to remove his ashes from Ash Wednesday by his teacher. The teacher was completely unfamiliar with the practice of Ash Wednesday. Uh, This is Utah, obviously a heavily Mormon state. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Catholics only make up 10% of the population on that state. But nonetheless, uh, it is moments like that where you see how precious, how precarious religious freedom sits on the pillars of a society. And we have got to cherish it, friends, and we've got to work for it. And We've got to defend those, even those who have different religious beliefs than us, to be able to practice their religious beliefs. Because all over the world, religious beliefs are oftentimes uh, outlawed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Particularly, though, for Christians. You know? Really. It's, it's sad. Pa- I have this uh, news item from Morningstar News. Pastor of underground church in Kenya, beaten unconscious. Somali pastor of an underground church in Kenya near the Somali border suffered a broken thigh bone and other injuries after Muslim extremists beat him with wooden clubs on Friday night. Pastor Abdul, uh, surname withheld for security reasons, a 30-year-old father of three, had finished leading a prayer gathering at 9 p.m. on the outskirts of Garissa and was on his way back to his house when several ethnic Somali Muslims attacked Pastor Abdul said he did not know the assailants. As they approached him, he said one of them told him, we have been following your movements and your evil plans of changing Muslims 
to Christianity. Leader of an underground church for, of 30 former Muslims, he clandestinely met with them in smaller groups on varying days for worship, prayer, and Bible study. Immediately, several assailants began hitting me with wooden clubs, and I became unconscious, Pastor Abdul said. I woke up and found myself surrounded by neighbors. I was rescued by the neighbors who found me in a pool of blood. They rushed him to a hospital, and he is in the process of recovering. But it's stories wow. like that that you just don't yeah. hear in America. And no. sometimes I think we need to be more aware of as American Christians. Yeah, yeah. thank God we don't hear them here, but it's scary to think. Yeah. Chris, you have a story. Well, yeah, I mean, it, there's tons of stuff going on as far as persecution. China is a big place big right place. now, yeah. over and over again. 60 people were just arrested in China, uh, according to the Christian Post. Basically, uh, let me look at right here exactly why they were arrested. It was for inciting... Um, it's basically, yes, um, oh, sorry. It's for inciting um, people away from the state leadership, basically, yes. because they pledge their their leadership is in Christ first, that takes away the authority of the, the state. That's the problem. And that that's the, the only has. reason they got arrested is because they profess that Jesus comes. It, it go all the way back to, to Jesus when he asked about Caesar, you know, yeah. when they asked about Caesar, you know. But this is, the, this is the threat that true Christianity poses to these yeah. nations, and that's why it is persecuted, because when you claim to have a higher authority in your life than the state, the state gets a little nervous. Yeah. Exactly, especially when that state is not democratic. Right. And the funny thing, though, is that even in our own uh, scriptures, it says that we are to fear the state, reverently respect the state, not fear it as in be afraid of it, but to honor the state. Romans chapter 13 says that the state bears the sword for a reason, and that is to punish the wrongdoer. And I believe in civil governments, and I believe that civil governments should not be state, should not be church sanctioned. I am a big believer of that firm wall of separation between church and state. A church should not be the sanctioned church for a particular state, and likewise, a state should not impose restrictions on a religious practice. Uh, except where that religious practice causes harm to someone else. And then that 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 whole statement, causes harm to someone else, opens up a whole other can of... What, right. what does that mean? What, yeah. what as causing harm. harm. Yeah. Define harm. Harm. Yeah. 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 harm. Harm is now becoming mental harm. If you tell yes. me that I can't do a certain thing, uh, you have harmed me. You're you bullying. Have, harm you my feelings. Me. You have hurt my feelings. And this is where our country is. It looks like that's where our country is headed, but who knows? Right. We still do have great religious freedom, and here we are on the airwaves right with you now. Uh, also... Good news is that the Deep End podcast is on iHeartRadio. Oh, I did not know that. Hello. Yeah. Welcome oh, to the cool. big time. Nice. Is. Nice. Yep. So iHeartRadio people out there, hello. This is the Deep End podcast where we dive deep into the scriptures. And this season on the Deep End, we are going through the book of Revelation. And so, uh, yeah, we have a precarious blessing in the, a precious, sorry, a, pre a precious blessing in this country yeah. called religious freedom. Yeah. yeah. Let us never take it lightly or for granted because all over the world, Christians are persecuted, chased out of town, taken away their rights. Uh, in, in China, like you just said, I read another article in China where China is tearing down their church's crosses, yeah. arresting members. Uh, and replacing the crosses with the Chinese flag and pictures of President Xi, or in Donald Trump ease, President G. <laughs> so this is what's happening in our uh, um, uh, to our brothers in China. Yeah, and it's I, very I, scary. Very I think you sent me that article. It was Sad. like one guy tore down seventeen hundred crosses and was promoted because of it. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, big business to persecute the church I, I, over there. In yeah, China. that's how you earn your your marks. It reminds me of you know Saul, Paul, yeah. basically. I mean, yeah. it gets you to think too. I mean, do we really even know what persecution is here in the United so. States? No. Yeah, yes. we don't we, have that. We definition. think persecution is when you know we uh, calls somebody, us a name. Yeah, somebody calls us a name. Somebody makes fun of us because we don't swear or, or doesn't whatever. like our face. Don't go drinking with them after work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I used to have a secular wow. job, and I used to get made fun of constantly for not going drinking, for not swearing, for not sleeping around because I was 20-something years old working at a bank, and they were like, why don't you do that? That's yeah. not persecution. That's right. actually opportunity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. opportunity Amen. to say, here's why I don't do it, because Jesus changed my life. Right. Yeah. No stones being thrown. No. I do. I, I need to make a comment. It's off topic, Yeah. but right now I'm looking at the screen. You look like a priest right now. I do. You look like a priest. Like, there's a reason for my no, outfit. The, the main shot. shot the first reason is it. because I look good. The second reason. <laughs> I, I just had to right there. Just so you know, yeah, why is church non-denominational? This collar is this collar. It does look like It a does. Priest. You look just yes. like a priest. And may, it, it, might Here I say go. it's a good look? Here we go. Get me on camera. <laughs> there we go. You're Ash all Wednesday. clean. Ash Wednesday. <laughs> what happens when you watch the deep end. Okay. <laughs> so the question of the day is, can you read that? Can you read that on the screen? Are, Are you, you cold? cold? It's on my shirt. Mm. And that's the question of the day. That's why I'm wearing this. Okay. So that was unintentional. The colors. Feel free to call me Father Tim for the <laughs> remainder of the podcast. Yes, Father. The reason why I asked that question and the reason why we talk about persecution worldwide across the church is because of what we're going to talk about in the book of Revelation. So let's roll it to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 11, and we are rolling right along here uh, through the book of Revelation, and one of the main points that I made about Revelation from week one um, is that the book of Revelation uh, draws largely from the pictures and the moments of the Old Testament. Mm. So we've already talked about a bunch of plagues, and some of these plagues you know, line up exactly with the plagues that fell upon Egypt when God was redeeming and delivering his people Israel out of Egypt. Right. Many of the same pl plagues appear in the book of Revelation. Yeah. Uh, we have already talked about 144,000. Uh, the 24 elders represent the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles. We've already rep uh, talked about the lampstands, the church representing, uh, being represented in Revelation chapter 1 through the pictures of lampstands. Lampstands were what was lit in the temple to kind of give continuous light in the Old Testament temple. Um, and so now this idea of Old Testament uh, symbols, pictures, and uh, objects is going to really ramp up into like seventh gear now Okay. in Revelation chapter 11. And Revelation chapter 11, the theme that I have is that no one stops the gospel. No one stops the gospel. So this is how Revelation chooses to communicate. Now, this is important that you get because Revelation is apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic literature, there's another way that you can understand, a simple way to understand apocalyptic literature is literature that is written to a certain group of people so that a per, that group of people which understands certain symbols, objects, and types will be able to properly interpret a message that people who don't or aren't familiar with those objects pictures and types, they won't understand it, but you will. Okay. 
That's, that's a really complicated way of saying it. It's like this. It's like a secret code to God's people. That's what Revelation is. So, you know, the first century church is getting persecuted. They're getting chased out of their homes. They're getting hated by their fellow Jews. They're getting tortured, thrown to death, uh, kill, uh, chased out of town and killed, uh, burned to death, stabbed to death, heads cut off. Well, we got to send a message to the church that they will know, but the people who read it and they're not in the church, they won't know. Okay, yeah. So that's why these symbols are there. That's why there's so many symbols in the book of Revelation. And it's so important that you hear me say this. Please learn that not everything in Revelation is supposed to be interpreted literally. Right. This is where a lot of the craziness comes from. Yeah. You know, this Monster is where... Monster in the sea. And yeah, we're going to have a dragon pretty soon. Yep. We're going to have a pregnant lady. We're going to have the dragon trying to eat the baby as the baby is born. It's like weird. Like, this is not literally happening yeah. uh, and likewise not everything that literally happens in Revelation chapter 11 is literally happening these are pictures and you say well why is it like that well why does Jesus say I'm the door mm. he's not a physical door narrow gate yeah. <laughs> you know, when Jesus says um, you know I am the gate yeah he's not a literal gate when he says I am the bread of life he doesn't turn into a loaf of bread Thank right goodness yes so because then, because then, what would we argue about? Well, what kind of bread is he? White <laughs> bread or is he marble rye or <laughs> whatever? Multigrain. He's multigrain. He's multigrain. Yeah, he's multigrain. yeah, he's healthy. So the Book of Revelation demands symbolic interpretation, and then through those symbols, again, the Book of Revelation shows us what is really real. What is really real? What is the reality behind our? reality what's behind the persecution of the church worldwide what's what's the hope of the church persecuted worldwide and revelation chapter 11 answers that so remember four views that's what we talk about here on the deep end the four views historically interpreting revelation number one preterist pre-80 70 historicist 33 80 to the end of time or the or second coming of christ sorry and futurist last seven years of history and then the spiritualist which is the gospel narrative or the gospel mission after christ rises from the dead in symbols. And so that's what I was just talking about just now. And I want to make sure that we ask this question again to everybody who's watching and maybe just tuning in for the first time on iHeartRadio. Go back and go check out our uh, YouTube channel. You can watch the previous episodes. Mm. You can, you've got to ask yourself this question when you approach the book of Revelation. If you were to read the book of Revelation without hearing how you've been told to read the book of Revelation, what would you see? Right. Because we all come with baggage. Yeah to the Bible as a whole, but we all come with a ton of baggage to specifically the book of Revelation. Yeah. We all do. When I was a kid, I was growing up and I was in youth group and we used to have late night talks about the book of Revelation. And I think that's like a common practice for youth group members, right? Okay. We would talk about the beast, the beast. Who's the Antichrist? Who's the beast? Who's the dictator beast? And, and back then in the 80s, it was there was a Swedish computer, supercomputer, somewhere in Sweden with everybody's names and social security numbers and financial data on <laughs> yep. it. And uh, it was made by Bill Gates and it was sanctioned by George H.W. Bush. And it was, you know, and they nicknamed the computer the beast. And we were like, ooh, like, oh, that's the beast. <laughs> the beast was a computer all this time, you know? So, you, you know, you come with, so when I come to Revelation, I come with that baggage. Sure. And yeah. then other people come with a different kind of baggage. And that's just, that's harmful. Let's look at the book of Revelation through these four views so that we can kind of let the baggage fall where it needs to fall in the particular camps of these views. And then we can hear from God because I think this is kind of proving itself out as we study through the book of Revelation is that all four views actually say the same thing. Yeah. And the spiritual principle is still there. It's just where are they applying the um, 
the historical, if you will, or future events. Right, right. Did right? they happen? Yeah. Are they are yeah. they happening? Will they happen? Yeah, but yet they are all saying the same spiritual principles. Right. So today's spiritual principle is the gospel. The gospel will not stop, no matter what it looks like. Even when it looks like the gospel, the message of Jesus is getting stopped. Revelation eleven is going to confidently declare, "No, it will not stop." All right. So let's get into it. We got we got two things to talk about today: the temple and the witnesses. The temple. And the witnesses, and I have my two friends, my two witnesses here, right here in this picture. I don't know if you can oh, see that. I thought it there was they us. Are. <laughs> no, we were that's not you guys. Darn it. Boy, aren't you full of yourself? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the book of Revelation. No, no, I'm my two friends. <laughs> uh, so there are two witnesses. There is a temple. Let's talk about it. Um, the temple measured, Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, the temple measured. Let's take a look, look see at what it says here in the first three verses of Revelation 11. John says, then I was giving a measuring rod. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. Okay, so right there we have an Old Testament picture, shepherd's staff, right? Mm. And I was told, rise and measure the temple. Temple, and I got the Greek word there, naos, because the Greek word for naos, when it refers to temple, is referring to the holy of holies. Okay. The Old Testament temple had three areas. It had the outer court, the inner court for the priest, and then it had the Holy of Holies, where once a year, one high priest went in to offer the Day of Atonement sacrifice, yeah. right? So that's what it's referring to here, the naos in Greek, meaning the Holy of Holies. So rise and measure the Holy of Holies of God and the altar, and now look at this, and those, plural, who worship there mm. in the Holy, plural, that right there should blow Jewish readers away. More than one person's in the Holy of Holies? Yeah. Okay, we'll get there, so watch this. But do not measure the court outside the temple, the outer court. Leave that out, for it is given to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now notice in 42 months, 42 months is about how long? It is three and a half years. Yes, three and a half. Three and a half years. And I will grant authority, verse 3, to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days. So 42 months... In verse 2, 1260 days in verse 3, and they are clothed in sackcloth. By the way, how long is 1260 days? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. So we're talking about the same period of time, but why in one verse months yeah. and why in the next verse days? Yeah. All right. Well, that's what the scripture is asking us to ask. It's demanding that we ask this for interpretive reasons. So let's get into the four views, then we'll get into the what it's actually saying. The historicist sees the 1260 days as 1260 years. And this is actually a pretty powerful point that the historicist makes because uh, in the 1200s, the Inquisition started Mm -hmm. uh, in France and in Spain. And they started to um, persecute people who did not submit to papal authority. If you did not submit to the Roman church authority, you were persecuted, you were killed, you were burned at the stake. So historicists say this is the 1260 some odd years that Faithful Christians um, underwent the persecution of the church's authority. Okay. So we today we opened up the podcast talking about na- national persecution, you know, nathe- atheistic national persecution upon the church. But did you know that a large swath of church history persecution actually is uh, people in the name of Christ killing other people who Out worship Christ? themselves. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So there's a bunch of groups that we could list, and I will list um, about this, uh, who they are. Uh, but they lead all the way up to Luther, and they inspire Luther to 
you know, uh, start the Protestant Reformation, although he didn't set out to start a Reformation. He started out, he set out to change the church, bring the church back to the gospel, bring the church back to what Jesus taught. And it is doesn't, you know, church history bears witness to this, that it doesn't take long for a church to move from uh, life-giving relationship with God to dead ritual for yeah. God. Yeah. It happens so quickly. Yeah. It can even happen in a church like ours. It happens in all kinds of churches where a group of people get radically saved, get, you know, fall in love with Jesus. They don't know how to make disciples. They lose it somehow along the way. What they did becomes enshrined as liturgy, ritual, and routine. And then the next generation has no living relationship with right. God. And before you know it, they're just carrying on the motions so that the church continues. Right. Yeah. Because guess what? Religion can be big business. It can be big money. Sure. Anyway, that's how they see it. The preterist says that just as Ezekiel uh, was called to eat the scroll in Ezekiel, uh, and John did the same in Revelation chapter 10, if you remember when right, we were here last honey. week, right? Ezekiel measured the temple, and so uh, Ezekiel measured the temple right before the impending destruction of Babylon uh, in 586 B.C. Well, John here is being asked to measure the temple, the second temple that Jesus came to, but he's being asked to measure it right before the Romans come in and destroy the temple in 70 AD. Okay. So there's parallels between Ezekiel and John here. And measuring in Scripture, look at verse 1 again. I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise, measure the temple. Measuring in Scripture is uh, a symbolic action that is used repeatedly to divide between the holy and the profane. When, when Moses is erecting the temple uh, and telling the people how to build the temple, measurements are all over the place. Yeah. Uh, measurements for the curtains, measurements for each each um, drape of curtain, uh, measurements for every rod, measurements for the inner court, the outer court, the, uh, the 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 boundary around the outer court. Everything's measured to separate the holy from the profane. And so remember I said also, naos meaning the holy of holies is where God's presence dwelt. What the, what the preterist says here is this. John, before the destruction of AD, before the destruction of the temple in AD 70, is being asked to make a distinction between the true church and the profane church. Okay. And so just like we said, like it doesn't take long for a church to move from life-giving relationship to dead ritual. Right. Well, that was happening in AD 70. And there was people in the church who loved the Lord. And then there was people who were just hanging out with the church because the church was where you go. You know, we were just talking about this a yeah. little bit ago, John, yeah. Josh, which is that in every church, there's a group that love the Lord and then there's a group that are just there. Yeah. You know, we see that all the time. Sure. Yeah. This is why you will meet Christians who will be the least Christian people you have ever met. <laughs> this is why you will always be disappointed with many people who go to church. This is why there's a bunch of hypocrites in every church in every in every place in America. Because there's always a church within a church. My grandfather was a pastor for 30 years, and he said that to our family regularly. He said, don't be disappointed with the church. Don't let what happens in the church keep you away from faith, because there's a church within every church. There's a holy people that belong to Jesus, and then there's people who are there just along for the ride. Now, think about it in our context here in New England is there's a whole bunch of people that are just along for the ride because this was grandma's church. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. How many people what do I we talk about? Into. Sure. How do how many people do we meet that say I could never go to your church because if I ever left my church yep. and they don't even go to their no, church. You're right. they exactly. Show up two times a year. I could never go to your church. Why? Because my grandmother will kill me. Oh, where's grandma? She's dead. How long she's been there? <laughs> Thirty years. Okay, let it go. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. She'll really? roll over in our grave. You're still listening to your dead grandma from thirty years ago. Like she there's so many people, but what is that? Dead ritual. Yeah. yeah. I'm tied to the church in name or through genealogical ancestry or just through this is what, this is what we do. And, and I'm not saying that our church has this now. There's people that show up at our church, Waters Church here in North Attleboro. They just show up for the ritual. Sure. They show up for the cool music, the great, the free coffee, the great, the great, you can whatever say it, the experience. great preaching. You the can great say preaching. it. You yeah. can say it. Whatever it is, but they show up, but they're not actually in the church. Right, they're just right. hanging on. Is because. this when Jesus talks about the wheat and the tares? Is that. Yeah, yeah, I think so because there's uh, the angels say or the servants say, "Shall we go and tear up the wheat, uh, the tares?" He says, "No, don't, because right. you might hurt the wheat." Right. Mm. Uh, and so this is always going to be the case in every church. Don't get disappointed by the churches. The church is filled with a lot of fake Christians. Uh, the church is also filled with a lot of good, solid Christians. And and you got to find those people. You got to do a little work to find those people. They are there. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's why we and have I, small groups and all that. Yeah. And I would say they are in every church, even the churches that I theologically disagree with. There are true Christians there. Right. Yeah. So this is not, hey, Water Church is the true church, and every other church around here is not the true church. No, this is there's a church within every church, and that's what Paul John is being asked to do: measure the Holy of Holies where God's people really dwell. You know, think about the Holy of Holies is where God's presence dwelt in the Old Testament temple. Well, now there's a plurality of people there. They're worshiping God there. They're experiencing his presence there. They're the true people of God. And so in the first century, in AD 70, John is doing what Ezekiel did for previous generations. He is separating the true church from the fake church, and he is saying, don't worry about the true church. God will take care of them. The fake church, verse 2, the nations will trample them. The nations will trample them, and that is the symbol of the Romans coming in and destroying uh, the temple of Jerusalem right. in AD 70. So let's talk about the futurists because the futurists say, now the futurists really diverge here from all the other, all the other three uh, views. The futurist actually believes that in the tribu- during the tribulation or sometime before the tribulation, the last seven years of human history on earth, there's going to be a pact made with the Antichrist or the up-and-coming Antichrist and national Israel, which is now around in, in, uh, in Israel, the, state, the nation-state Israel. And they're going to make a pact with the Muslims and the Jews to rebuild Solomon's temple right. on the, or Herod's temple on the actual footprint of what remains of Herod's temple. Yeah. So they believe this is going to happen. The temple's going to be rebuilt. And they also believe that the sacrifices are going to be reinstituted right. the animal sacrifices. that's how i uh, always understood it myself yeah. yeah now this is a popular view in america because of the left behind book series oh yeah yeah i was just gonna say that and that's Kirk my Cameron baggage movies. yeah that's my baggage <laughs> that's too. my baggage yeah, yeah. so good. there's this you know i forget uh nikolai carpathia is the antichrist yeah. up and coming you know european politician he makes a pact and they can't believe he makes a pact. how did you get the muslims to agree with moving the dome of the rock from the ancient site of solomon's stuff how did this and it's like this big huge thing and Yep. And then, you know, they believe, of course, that he's going to break that accord with the Jewish state halfway through. And that's when the Great Tribulation happens. And that's the futurist view. There's a couple of problems biblically with this view. Number one, the second temple that Jesus came to in the Gospels, the second temple, that's not the first, that's the second. It was rebuilt by Zechariah's Zerubbabel. And actually, Nehemiah started with the walls. But Zechariah's Zerubbabel and Ezra rebuild the temple. Herod takes that temple and even 
magnifies its building. It, he makes this magnificent temple, Herod the Great, right? Jesus comes to that temple. Now, the Old Testament prophets predicted the destruction and the rebuilding of the first temple. Okay. Solomon's temple, Got, right? Yeah. That's in the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus in the New Testament predicts the destruction of the second temple, but he never predicts the rebuilding of the second mm. temple. You will tear down this temple. Yeah, that's Matthew 24, oh. verse 2. Yep. So why would the Old Testament prophets predict the destruction and rebuilding of the temple, right. which happened, and Jesus, you could call him the greatest of the Old Testament prophets and the last of the Old Testament prophets, why would he predict only the destruction yeah. and not the rebuilding if it's going to be rebuilt? You, th you would think that Jesus would say something about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, anyway, it's sense. a stretch, in my opinion, yeah. based on what I read from Revelation without the baggage. It's a bit of a stretch. Secondly, why on earth would Muslims ever <laughs> agree to removing the Dome of the Rock? It is one of the most holy sites in Islam. Yeah. I mean, it would have to be a cataclysmic earthquake event destroying it completely before they would give that back over to the Jews. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, this is, it's conjecture. I'm not a big fan of the view. You, I'm not disparaging you if you are. But the thing is, the big idea, again, is that it still falls in line with the fact that there is a true church in the Holy of Holies. There is a, there is a false church that's along for the ride. And the question of the day is, are you cold? Because I want to know. Are you in the church and on fire for Christ, or are you cold? Oh, okay, that's where Hello. we're going with that. That's There's where we're going with that. Right. I got it. I got it a couple minutes ago. I, I, I'm Call just me wondering. Father Tim if you must. <laughs> the spiritualist view here is the temple is the church, period, end of story. Very simple. And by the way, this totally aligns with other passages in the New Testament. A couple of instances. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Who is he talking to? Christians. Mm. God's spirit dwells within you. 2 Corinthians 6.16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. The church is the temple. The temple here in Revelation 11 is the church. Not just Paul said this. Peter said it. 1 Peter 2.5. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Another word for temple. Mm. To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifice. These are all Old Testament terms yeah. that apply to the temple. Now Peter is applying to who? To the body of Christ. So the body of Christ is the temple. And again, this falls in line with the same principle that is, in every church there is a true church that is hot and on fire for the Lord. And in every church there is tagalongs. People, the rabble, the people who are just there along for the ride, the people who are cold, cold, right? And so now let's talk about the 42 months because symbolically the spiritualist says the 42 months here are a quality of time, not a quantity of time. And the three and a half years in refers to, and this is pretty cool, that refers to intense persecution in the church. Now, what you need to know about 42 in the Old Testament and the New Testament outside of Revelation is that this number shows up in several places. Yeah. So the first place that 42 shows up is in Israel's journey through the wilderness. Okay. Now you say, I thought it was 40 years they were in the wilderness. Nope. The first two years they were on their way to Egypt. They got to the edge of the promised land. Mm. After two years, they sent in the spies. Ten spies come back and say, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb says, we can. They ignore Joshua and Caleb. They listen to the ten spies. Guess what? Tack on 40 more years yeah. of Israel wandering. So that's 42 years wow. of what? Of the, of the true Israel being protected, right? Right. While the rabble and the non-believing non Israel 
is eliminated. Weeded out. Hello. Yeah. That's pretty cool if you ask me. Yeah. So there's that. Secondly, there's another place where Elijah prays for the heavens to be shut over Israel and there no and and no rain to fall for how long? Three and a half years or Mm, 42 months. months. This is intense persecution upon God's people. But remember that in Elijah's time, there were 7,000 that he reserved for himself. There was a true Israel, and then there was an apostate Israel. So there you go again. Then uh, there's another place in Daniel where Daniel predicts intense persecution suffered by the Jews at the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. This is a um, Greek leader uh, in uh, pre Jesus, this is about 160, I think, 2 BC, uh, where he uh, brings a pig into the temple and he offers a pig as a sacrifice. It's a big, you know, sacrilegious moment for Israel and, uh, mm. you know, horrible time of persecution. I mean, he really persecuted the Jews. So, and that lasted for about 42 months. Wow. So, there we have several instances in the Bible where 42 months is not a quality necessary of time, quality, quantity, sorry, quantity of time, as much as it is a quality of time to say that this isn't going to be a time where the true church is preserved, Mm. the true people of God are preserved, and the apostate people of God are trampled by the nations, as it says here in verse 2. So summing it up, here's the conclusion from all four views is this. Examine yourself. Are you cold? Because that's the question that Revelation chapter was, uh, I mean, chapter 11, 1 through 3 is asking us. Because uh, you've got to ask yourself right now, are you actually in the faith, right. living and abiding in Christ, mm. or are you, are you just hanging out with Christians? Yeah. yeah. How many people need to ask themselves that question? Oh, all of us probably. All of us do, because actually Paul tells us to in two places. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves right. to see whether you are in the faith. Yeah. Test yourselves. That's good, yeah. How often do we test everybody else? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at the log in their eye. Yeah. yeah. Bible tells us, the scriptures tell us, test yourself. Yeah. Right. Worry about yourself, right? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. let a person examine himself yeah. and then eat the bread and drink the wine. Every time we come to the table of the Lord's Supper, we should be examining ourselves and we should ask ourselves, do I have a living, abiding relationship with Jesus or do I not? And here's some more questions for you if you want to examine yourselves. A couple of questions. Is there a heart for God in your life? Do you love to worship him? Mm. Is there a hatred in your life for that which displeases him? Or are you comfortable with it? Do you like it? Do you Mm. think it's enjoyable and God has no right to ask that of you? Mm. if If the answer is God has no right to ask this of me, well... You might not be in the church. Yeah, might be cold. You might be cold. You might not be actually truly saved. (laughs) Is there a love for Jesus? Is there a desire for what he can give? Remember, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, when he comes into somebody, he's going to glorify me. Hmm. So you know that you have the... We talked about this a few episodes ago. You know you have the Holy Spirit when you want to make Jesus known. You don't want to hide it. You don't want, like, you might, you might fear, and every Christian struggles with that, yeah. myself included. I don't know if I want to share it, because what if they hate it, and it'll hurt me if they hate Jesus? We all struggle with that question, right? Sure. None yeah. of us are always perfect witnesses all the time. No. No. But no. is there, though, underneath all that, 
man, I really do want to share my yeah. faith with this person. I'm looking for the opportunity to right. tell them about you. I have no problem telling people that I'm putting my faith in Jesus, right? If Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven, meaning that the shame yeah. is actually a symbol that you're actually not in me. Right. You know, So these are the things that you got to ask yourself regularly, uh, churchgoer, because just going to church does not make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a vehicle. <laughs> yep. It's so good. Classic. Amen. No. Right <laughs> now, are you cold? Does that go back to Jesus saying, be hot or cold? I'll spit warm no, out of my no, mouth? No, no, no. Okay, you got to go different. back to that episode. We talked about Laodicea because we said that those two waters that came into Laodicea, one was a cold pipeline, one was a hot pipeline. But by the time they got to Laodicea from Colossae and Hariopolis, they were both lukewarm. Okay. So... There is a usefulness. Think about it's about usefulness. There's a usefulness for hot water. Right. There's a usefulness for cold water. But not for warm. But lukewarm. What do you do with that? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay. There's no luke. There's no. You don't never. Uh, give me a cold bath or a hot shower, but don't give me a lukewarm. Well, that makes more thing. sense because I always yeah. struggled you know with I mean? that. Like, yeah. What does it mean? Because warm yeah. is. Give good me a cold drink or a hot drink, but don't give yeah, me something that's warm temperature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's about usefulness. This, I'm just saying, are you cold <laughs> in terms of, look, are you really in love with the Lord? Is there a flame of the Lord in your life, or are you just going through the motions? So that brings us now to the next passage in Re- Revelation 11, the two witnesses. Very difficult passage to interpret for many, but I believe that I've got a handle on it, okay? This only comes here at the Deep End Podcast. Stay tuned. Passages that others will struggle with, you will get answers <laughs> to. <laughs> here on the Deep End Podcast. Okay, we're usually not this arrogant iHeartRadio, but today we are. <laughs> Look at past episodes, please. Yeah, the two witnesses. So let's talk about that. Let's read it. Verse 4 to 6 says, these are the two olive trees. Now remember, it's already been talking about the fact that they are prophesying for 42 months or 1,260 days. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. And if anyone would harm these two witnesses, fire pours out from their mouths and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. And then it says, secondly, they have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying, and they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Okay, mm-hmm. right off the bat, what two guys from the Old Testament come to mind here well, based on those two powers? The power to shut the sky from rain Elijah. and the power to turn... Elijah. Yeah, Elijah, and then the power to turn water into blood. Well, Moses. Moses. Yes. Bingo. So yeah. we have a picture of Moses. We have a picture of Elijah. Now, there's some Old Testament background to this text. And the Old Testament background to this text comes from Zechariah chapter 4. In Zechariah chapter 4, the exiles of Jerusalem, of Israel. Now, what does that mean, exiles? Um, Israel is judged in 586 B.C., by God for their unfaithfulness. He sends them into exile through Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. They stay there for 70 years. After 70 years, another king comes to, uh, to power. He, his name is Cyrus. Cyrus issues an edict saying that the uh, Jews can go back to Israel and worship the God that they have served from their founding. So this is 70 years later. Cyrus proclaims the edict. They go back. They start to rebuild the walls with Nehemiah, and then they start to rebuild the temple with Zerubbabel, uh, the governor of Judah at the time, and Joshua, the high priest of Israel at the time. And so 
they go back, they start to build, and they're excited at first, but with any, as with any building project, and I've been through a couple here at Water Church, you get discouraged after a sure. while. Sure, yeah. And life happens, and people start to ask, is this even worth it? And we don't even have the resources, and we don't have the stuff that we need, and it's never going to get done, and is this ever going to happen? And so they started to get discouraged. So Zechariah comes to these guys with a, with a vision, and the vision is of two olive trees, one on the right, one on the left, of a lampstand, and he says to the angel, he says, what are the two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out into the lampstand, giving light to the lampstand? And the angel says, do you not know who these are? He says, no, who these are? He says, no, my Lord. Verse 14, he says, these, then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand before the Lord of all the earth. Mm-hmm. So who are the anointed ones in Zechariah chapter 4? Because it will help us interpret Revelation chapter 11. Remember I said, Old Testament pictures are picked up again in Revelation. All right. So if we take it to be, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lights the fire that, that illuminates the church for the world. But there are two sources for that fire and two sources for that Holy Spirit to work through. And in Zechariah's day, the two sources were the civil leaders, the governmental leaders, and the cultic or religious leaders, the governmental system and the priestly system. Now, this is Israel, not America. Don't conflate Israel with America because America is not America is not God's country or God's national people. Right. Israel was in the Old Testament. Okay, but if you think about this in Luke chapter two, this is really cool. John the Baptist is the descendant of a high priest named Zechariah. Okay. Jesus is the descendant of a king named mm, David. David, the civil leader and the priestly leader, yeah. come together. And through John the Baptist, who leads to Jesus, and Jesus dies for the sins of the world and makes a way for the Holy Spirit to come into the church. Oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Because of John the Baptist and because of Jesus, the anointed ones, the Holy Spirit is poured out into the church. And by the way, right in the middle of Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, Mm. says the Lord of hosts. And so that's the background. I just want to give you the background before we get into the interpretation of this passage because it's very interesting to see that being repeated here in Revelation chapter 11 with two witnesses, all of no, notice in verse four, they're called olive trees, right? And lampstands to stand before the Lord of all the earth. Same language as yeah. Zechariah chapter four, right? This is important for us to read Revelation through the lens of the Old Testament scriptures because then you will read it rightly. The same Holy Spirit that anointed Zechariah to write prophecy in the Old Testament also anoints John now in the New Testament to write Revelation. So let's talk about the views. The historicist says that the two witnesses are the long line of witnesses for Christ up to 1260 A.D. Remember, 1260 days. They interpret that as 1260 years where there's faith. There's a long but thin line of faithful witness in the corrupted church. Roman church uh, throughout history from the Middle Ages onwards, Dark Ages onwards actually, gets more and more corrupt. The priestly system gets corrupt. The uh, sacrifice, the... Um, the, uh, the 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 ownership the indulgences yeah. all, all the sacrament all the sacramental practices become corrupt why money yeah. M- religion can be a big money business well power goes straight to the head of Rome and then obviously to the Pope and the papacy becomes corrupt and I'm telling you even if you're even if you're a Catholic you have to know a little bit of, of your course. history there's yeah. a ton of corruption yeah. in the papacy in the history of the church I'm not saying the current one is but I am saying there is no doubt in the Dark Ages the Middle Ages Sons of corruption, because power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So anyway, the historicist says that the 1,200, the two witnesses are the long line of witnesses that stood against Rome and stood against its 
uh, abuses of power. These are these include the Waldenesies, the uh, Albigenses. Uh, I'm not even pronouncing these right. These are two French groups of of Christians who stood opposed to the uh, indulgence sale system, okay. to the uh, withholding the scriptures from the common people system, uh, the priestly abuses that were happening, all that kind of stuff. The Bohemian Brothers who were in the Czech Republic, what is now the Czech Republic, uh, John Wycliffe, who tried in England to uh, translate the Bible into English, uh, Jan Hughes, who led the Bohemian Brethren in what is now the Czech Republic, Jerome of Prague, all of these people were part of a nonconformist spirit that led right up into the Reformation. Mm. That in spite of the church's corruption, there was a true church standing within them as witness yeah. for 1260 years, gotcha. empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, just like Moses stood alone for God in the wilderness, right. and just like Elijah stood alone for God in a time of apostasy in nation-state Israel, so too these witnesses throughout church history stand apart from the apostate church. Remember, there's two parts of the temple, the outer court, the inner court. The inner court is where the true worshipers are residing and where God gives sanctuary and safety to. That's from verses 1 to 3. The preterist view. Let's get into the preterist view, because the preterist view, hard to decipher this passage. Some say the two witnesses are John the Baptist and Jesus, Right. He's looking back to them. Okay. The problem is, is that they're going to die and their bodies are going to be left in the street without burial. That's not Jesus. And that's not Jesus, right? So they also then say, well, it's James, the Lord's brother, and Peter, the primary apostle. Why James? Because James actually becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church in the first century. Mm -hmm. He becomes the first pastor of the Jerusalem church. Peter, obviously, the Catholics believe, the first pope, but also Jesus acknowledged he is the first among the apostles. Yeah. Okay. But there's a problem with that, too, because while they were both martyred, neither of their bodies were denied burial. And we're going to see that the bodies right. of these witnesses are denied burial. Yeah. Anyway, that's the preterist view. Doesn't hold much water there. This is where the preterist view starts to break down here in Revelation mm -hmm. chapter 11. So let's go on, because there's a better view, I think. Futurist view. Now, the futurist view, like the temple being rebuilt, also believes that literally Moses and Elijah will show back up in the tribulation. Right. And they will preach. And they will be wearing sackcloth, by the way, because they will preach a message that will be mourned by the nations. And when they are killed, the nations will rejoice. So this interpretation uh, is based on the idea that Elijah never died. If you remember, Elijah never dies. He gets carried to heaven in uh, chariots of fire. Yeah. Uh, Moses does die. However, Scripture is very clear. No one knows where he's buried. Right. And it was the Lord who buried him. Right. The people didn't bury Moses. So maybe, yeah, maybe the right. Lord went back and said, okay, come on, you know, get back <laughs> up, let's go. <laughs> Didn't really bury you. And remember that Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus yeah, on the Mount, on the Mount yeah. of Transfiguration. That's so good, yeah. there's that view that once again, Moses and Elijah reappear to proclaim uh, the, the, like God's final message during the Great Tribulation to save as many as possible, but uh, the nation, the dictator beast will arise and kill them. Now, some futurists also believe that they are symbolic. It is not actually literally Moses and Elijah. Oh, and also some believe that it's not Moses and Elijah. They believe that it's Enoch and Elijah because Enoch, Enoch yeah. seventh die. from Adam, doesn't die. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's those two. Well, we don't know. This is all speculation because, again, the futurist view has the luxury of saying we can guess. Right. It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. <laughs> um, Change so, their mind. you know, if you're for that view, that's fine, too. But... This is the symbol of Moses and Elijah, and they are pronouncing God's message of woe to the nations. Now, the spiritualist view, which I believe is the better view of this text, and it kind of aligns with the historicist view, but 
not. The two witnesses are a picture of the church throughout the gospel age, bearing witness in the power of God, the Holy Spirit, two olive trees, right? Mm -hmm. Two lampstands, Mm -hmm. to the gospel truth. Now, remember that everywhere witness must be given in the Bible, it requires not one, but two. Oh, two, two right. witnesses, yep. yeah. Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. On the evidence of two witnesses, or three, shall anyone be put to death. No one shall be put to death on the evidence of one witness. By the way, that is why we have a jury of your peers in this country. Yeah. That text right yeah. there. So much. No yeah. one person can accuse one other person of a crime and get convicted for it. We have to have multiple mm, witnesses, right? right? Uh, Matthew 18, 16. Jesus says every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Jesus sent out his disciples in Matthew 10. Mm. How? Two by two. Luke chapter 10 also says the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of them, ahead of him, two by two, into every town and every place where he was about to go. Uh, at the resurrection, at the empty tomb, mm. how many angels are in the tomb? Two. Two. How many angels are at the ascension as Jesus goes into the heavens? Mm. Two. How many people go out from the church in Antioch to proclaim the gospel to the Gentile nations? Two. Paul and Barnabas. When Paul and Barnabas break up, Paul picks up a different guy to go with him, Mm. and Barnabas picks up John Mark and goes with him, two by two. Uh, I'm repeating this because this is the the spiritualist view, that the two witnesses are basically just the church bearing witness throughout the the church age, and that through the Holy Spirit, it is empowered to be a light to the nations and so the question then becomes, well, what about the, what about the 1260 days? How do you interpret that? Again, yeah. here's how you interpret it. Remember that I said in verse 2, it says, 42 months, the nations shall trample the outer court. 42 months. Right. right. But in verse 3, it says, the two witnesses prophesy days. for 1260 days. Sure. Why t- 42 months in the first verse? Why 1260 days, same time frame, in the next verse? Here's why. Because the months term refers to seasons. Now you think about this. When you are talking about something that happened in your life, oh, it happened around September. Sure, right? yeah. Now you could be referring to a part of your t- life that actually was, it rolled into November, October or it, rolled, it came out of August. But you would, if the central event happens in September, you're going to say it was around September. Sure, right? yeah. That's how we refer to months today, right? Yeah, but right. when you talk about days, you don't refer to certain things, only real like key events. More as exact. Day. So if you think about it, the trampling of the outer court as a symbol of the persecution of the church, whereby God protects the true church and kind of persecutes or brings to an end the false church, the apostate church, and you refer to that as months, we're talking about seasons throughout the church age where intense persecution breaks out. Okay. Seasons, like months are seasons. But the 1260 days are the witnessing moments, which is, the, the spiritualist says, is a... It is a day-by-day event where the gospel is preached to those who do not yet know. Okay. So while persecution will break out in seasons of church history, the good news is every day the gospel is going forward in church history. Mm. And that there is scores of evidence that that is true. Yeah. There is never a day, I believe in my heart, and I believe history bears this out, there is never a day where somebody does not come to Christ. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I know you think, well, I haven't seen anybody come to Christ for a long time in my life. Okay, you're one in seven billion people on this planet, <laughs> for heaven's sakes. You're one in almost three billion Christians on this planet. So every day, three billion Christians get up, and every day somebody comes to Christ. Yeah. It's a beautiful picture of the fact that in spite of the persecution, the church, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, olive trees, and the lampstand, the light of the world, will continue to make converts no matter what happens. So what about the power to shut the sky? What about the power to turn the the waters into blood. Did you know that during church history, when men and women were persecuted to bring the gospel to the common man, they were oftentimes burned at the stake, their ashes scattered into the rivers. Mm. Two examples are John Wycliffe, who tried to translate the Bible into the common language for the Englishman, Jan Hughes, who tried to, co- who tried to translate the Bible, and others who tried to translate the Bible, get it into the common man's hands. Right. Both of those men were burned at the stake. Uh, John Wycliffe was buried. This is funny. John, it's not funny, actually. John Wycliffe was buried. 43 years later, the church was so upset with what he started in England, they dug him up, burned him, wow. and threw his remains into the wow. river. So it's like a symbol. Delayed the blood anger, becomes yeah. the water becomes blood. Yeah, yeah. And many Christians have been killed and their bodies thrown into the rivers and right. the rivers turned into blood. Many Christians who tried to bear witness or did successfully bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's about the persecution. It's about persecution. It's a picture of the persecution that though, and it's also a picture of hey, the same power that anointed Elijah to remain mm. faithful in apost- during apostate Israel, and the same power that allowed or empowered. Moses to stand alone for God in the wilderness wanderings when a whole generation, think about it, your entire generation dies off and you alone stand for God yeah. for 42 years. And the same power that empowered those guys to stand alone is going to empower the church in the church age to stand alone that's in spite of what the yeah. nations do. You had something to say? I was just going to, and Joshua, right? And Joshua and Caleb. Right. Yeah, but they go into the promised land. And they are not actually prefigured in this passage, but you know it's the same spirit, yep. same spirit. There's all, and there's two right there too, two witnesses, right? Mm. So you've got this common theme from again the Old Testament that helps us interpret Revelation. Yeah, that's why I started off with that today. So let's get into the fact that these two witnesses get killed. The two witnesses that get killed, obviously, the two witnesses get killed, and this is very disconcerting to many of the interpretations. Mm. Verse 7, and when they had finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit. Now, this is the first mention of the beast in, in the book of Revelation. The beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. But the key verse in this passage is verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically, there it is, right there. Symbolically is right in the book of Revelation saying, please interpret this symbolically. <laughs> <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm saying? It's telling you. Yeah. All right, so this great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, comma, where the Lord was crucified. Now, was was Jesus crucified in Egypt? No. no. Was he crucified in Sodom? No. no. Where was he crucified? Uh, uh, Jerusalem. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come so on now. Three cities are mentioned to symbolically refer to where these dead bodies will be Laid out. Yeah. Sodom, Egypt, Jerusalem. Okay. Hold that thought. Verse 9. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb, which is what happened in Jan Hughes, which is what happened to John Wycliffe mm. and the reformers, right? And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been torn had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. All right. 
What is this saying? Um, verse 11. Let's just continue reading, and then we'll get into it. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet. So there's a resurrection. And great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to God, glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. All right, let's interpret it, shall we? The historicist says, okay, all, that, all those movements, that, that little thin line of faithful witness to the gospel during the corruption of the papal Roman church leads up to 1200 AD, right? Uh, these movements, they were heavily persecuted and killed. Yeah. In fact, they were killed so much in France that they literally wiped them out. They wow. literally wiped out faithful wow. witnesses. The Huguenots were the last remaining group of faithful Christians in France uh, during the 1600s. They actually, uh, 1500s, they actually moved uh, out of the country and found uh, solace somewhere else. I forget where they found. I think it was, I think it's Denmark. I'm not sure. I forget. But anyway, they get out of that situation. But their their actions inspire the reformers 300 years later. Mm. So. The papal church tries with all of its energy, the corrupt, power-hungry, money-hungry papal church of the 1500s, 12 to 1500s, literally uh, uh, enacts war on any, any person trying to get the Bible into the common person's man, any person questioning the sale of indulgences, any person questioning the abuses of the priestly system, any person doing that, they try to annihilate, and they do. They yeah. kill a lot of them. Like I just said, John Hughes, Jan Hus, and John Wycliffe burned at the stake, and others. I mean, I couldn't name... Thousands, and they or they scare them out of the country. Yeah, at the Third Lateran, Lateran Council in 1179, the war a war was declared against these people, leading all the way up to the 1231, which was the Inquisition, mm -hmm. and they were so effective that they literally issued a papal bull that said that declared that the end of that subversive movement to the Roman church was finally once and for all annihilated. They thought they won. Yeah. Wow. Guess when they issued that papal bull? 1514, May 5th. <laughs> Guess what would happen just a little while later? Luther is going to nail right. 95 theses <laughs> to the door in Wittenberg and the, Re and the Reformation is going to start and the whole thing changes. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Powerful. So wow. here's how the, inter here's, this is so cool. This is how the historicist interprets it. The witnesses die. They appear dead. Mm -hmm. And oh. they get raised back to life. See what you're saying, yeah. So That's the great. faithful witness of the church, which lived under the powers of the auspices of the corrupt papal church, looks like it's dead, mm. is given a season of death, but God raises them up. Wow. The Reformation happens, and the world is changed. Yeah. And we are sitting here today, not Catholic, and not you know under a state church. In large part because of the Reformation. Right. Americans don't get this. They don't know their history. You got to know your history. You got to know how much you should thank Martin Luther and others in the Reformation who gave you the country and the rights that you have today because of how they believe the scriptures should have been interpreted. Yeah. So anyway, the preterist interprets again, this is the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus. Uh, they die. Problem again is both of them were buried. Mm -hmm. But we know John the Baptist was buried. We know Jesus was buried. Jesus is raised. We don't see John the Baptist getting raised. Mm. So there's a problem there for the preterists. The futurists, this is where they start talking about the beast. 
This is the first of what will be three beasts in what the futurist interprets as the unholy trinity. Uh, the beast out of the pit, which is here in Revelation 11. The beast out of the sea, which is the world dictator in Revelation 13. And then the beast out of the land, which is a false religious leader of the day, Revelation 13, 11. So three beasts, three different people. The first beast here in Revelation 11 is Satan. So Satan, world dictator, and religious leader or false prophet, they call that the unholy trinity. Right. So that's actually a pretty cool interpretation, if you ask me. I think that's where the futurist gains some momentum. Uh, and then the murder of the witnesses, they kill Moses, they kill Elijah, or whoever they are. And the world actually literally does rejoice, sends presents to each other, and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So this destroys my Amazon theory, which is the, <laughs> which is the futurist theory, because it says for three and a half days, yeah. right? They send presents are and you they celebrate. About prime, prime shipping? You can only do that prime now with days. three and a half days. <laughs> That's my futurist view that you're destroying as we speak, but... Okay, moving on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I thought you'd have something I to say on it. I'm sorry. I thought you would go off on that. My <laughs> no. bad. All right. Edit that, Matt. No problem. It, it's kind of funny. In some churches, that might sell as funny. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. The spiritualist view. Let's look at this. <laughs> the beast and the, fall and the bottomless pit. Obviously, this is an illusion of the fact that the powers of hell will fight and make war against gospel witness no matter what. Don't be surprised, Christian, by trials that you will face as you seek to do God's will and build his church. Christians... Christians who freak out when they start doing things God's way and things go worse for them. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> there is a power called Satan. There is a power called the, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms that are not happy you're following Jesus. Right. Please yeah. do not expect it to be all, you know, roses uh, right. and, and, and peacetime when you give your life to Christ. And especially when you start to serve Christ. Yeah. Some of you step out to serve Christ, you, you encounter the least little resistance, the least little problem, and you back right off. Right. And guess what the devil says? The Do devil it. says, that was easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we act so surprised when our government tries to pass laws that are so anti-Christian. We act like, Bingo. what's going on here? You Bingo. Know? <laughs> right. Don't be surprised by this. Revelation is teaching you. Don't be surprised. And in fact, Revelation is teaching you to go so far as to see that sometimes good Christians will die. Yeah. Don't we, be surprised. Don't be. Don't let that trip you up. This is predicted, and and yet when the church looks like it's dead, Revelation eleven is also saying that God will raise it back to life. Yeah, have some when, faith. Yeah, when gospel witness looks like it's dead, God will raise it back mm. to life. Couple of instances for you, just just so you know that it keeps coming to pass, century after century. Uh, Chairman Mao in China mm -hmm. he eliminated the Christian gospel from China. Um, his wife, Madame Mao, famously announced that Christianity was dead in 1960. Great numbers of Christians were arrested, executed, reindoctrinated to communism. Fifty years after she said that, the church in China has experienced a resurrection. Yeah. The gospel is sweeping across the country. An estimated 25,000 people a day wow. are coming wow. to Christ in China right now. China is on course to be the most populous Christian country in the world by 2050. Oh, wow. Wow. By the way, it is also becoming a, an economic powerhouse. Do you know why? Those two things go together. Yeah. When you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, people care about each other. The, co the country gets better. Yeah. The economy gets better because people are honest and not defrauding each other. I'm not saying China's a healthy economy yet. I'm just saying that it's getting better because you see the increase of Christian faith yeah. upon the national psyche. So 
That's happening. Just when you think China has eliminated Christianity, guess what? God resurrects his church and gospel witness takes root in that country. Um, they still need prayer because they're getting persecuted like we talked about in the, in the early sure. part of this podcast. Yeah. But another instance in the last century, in the USSR, the Soviet Union, some of you young kids don't even know what the USSR is because your, your schools don't teach you history anymore. The USSR was a communist government. It was a league of about seven or eight nations, I think, in Asia. And Russia, obviously, being the biggest. And they eliminated through state action the church closed their buildings, removed emblems of faith, outlawed Christianity, and instituted secular atheistic education across the board. From the top down, Christianity and all religious faith was eliminated. Well, guess what? Anthropologists have studied this. When the Soviet Union took power in the first part of the 20th century, Russia was about 5.5% atheist. Okay. 70 years later, when communist Russia fell, they did another survey of the country, and it was only 6% atheist. Oh. That's, that's how effective, Huge increase. That's how wow. effective atheistic governments are. It cannot stop the gospel witness. And by the way, when the Soviet Union fell in 1990, Christians flooded into the country and found not a dead church, but many Christians who were privately still holding on. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. And it is still growing. Of course, Putin just last year outlawed evangelism outside of the church buildings, which, you know, these, these nations never learn. Right. right. Like they keep fighting against the Christian movement, and then the Christian movement bounces back, and then they try to fight against it again. You can't, my point is, you cannot stop the church. Yeah. And that's what I love about Revelation. That's what I hope you're learning. That's what I hope that you're hearing from me. So, summary of what we've talked about today. First off, remember, the temple is measured. Why? Because measurement distinguishes between the true the holy and the common, the profane. And my question to you is, do you have a living, true relationship with Jesus or not? Examine yourself. God knows those who are his, the real from the simply formal church. And just going to church doesn't make you a true follower of Jesus. Examine your heart. And if your heart is not right with God, you can repent now. You can turn to him now. Give your life to him. Trust him for your salvation. Walk with him. Get into the word. Abide in Christ. But secondly, Nothing stops the gospel even when it seems it's been stopped. Mm. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So back to the news. And I know it's long, so just hang on one more time, one more few minutes with me. This is out of the news, uh, Christian Post again. Uh, family continues ministry of missionary killed in Africa three years ago. 1,000 kids helped. It's been over three years since American missionary Michael Redering was among a dozen Christians killed by Al-Qaeda in West Africa. But today his ministry to the orphan and the poor there continues with national partners and the help of his family. In 2011, Rittering, along with his wife, sold all their possessions in the U.S. to run an orphanage and women's crisis center in West Africa, operated by an American mission group called Sheltering Wings in West Africa. He was killed when gunmen opened fire on a coffee shop just minutes after Rittering arrived in January 2016. Wow. Rittering, listen to this, was driving a ministry van on his way to pick up a group of about 15 missionaries at the airport. But since their flight was late, he decided to go get some coffee. Minutes after arriving at the cafe, the attack began and 28 people were killed, including himself. This is a picture of him. He's dead, 2016. Now, if you're a regular nominal American Christian, you say, oh, you see, this is what happened. Okay, shut it. Because guess what happened? (laughs) His brother picked up the ministry in his name is carrying on the ministry. They plan to plant 15 to 20 churches in West Africa this year and are 
helping over 1,000 kids through sponsorship programs. Michael's brother, Jeff, is thinking of moving to Africa should the Lord call him to do so mm. and carry it on in person. Now, mind you, this all happened because Michael Kettering met, Mike, Kettering, Michael uh, Rettering met Christ. He was a former alcoholic yacht broker. Yacht broker. Okay. Wow. Met Christ. Life completely changed. Upon conversion, friends say no one could recognize him or his family. A former antisocial hermit, Michael started bringing dozens of friends to Christ and hosting a small group in his home. Love he it. eventually became the youth pastor and then a pastor, and then he once said to the church, I'll do anything for Christ. I'll even move to Africa if he calls. God <laughs> called. <laughs> he moved. <laughs> and it looked like all was lost when he died in what should never have happened, a horrible chance encounter with Al-Qaeda in West Africa. Ministry lost, opportunity lost, the gospel lost, not on your life. Yeah, It's still moving forward. They're still changing people's lives to the glory of Jesus because why? Nothing stops the gospel. Nothing stops the gospel. Yeah. If you want to check wow. out more, check out mybrotherskeeperbook.org. You can order the book. All the proceeds obviously go to that missionary endeavor. I would highly encourage it. Check it out. If you have any questions, send them to us at 508-316-9333. Glad to have you guys back with me. Thank Guatemala you. Brothers yeah. Today. It was good. As always, check us out, facebook.com slash thedeependtv, youtube.com slash waterschurch, or thedeepend.tv. Hope your Wednesday, the rest of your Wednesday is great. Hope you start to enjoy the warming climate here in New England. Thanks for joining us. This was The Deep End.